Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. We are just weeks away from another presidential election. Man, the older I get, the faster these things come up. And Christians are divided over the presidency and the re-election of President Donald J. Trump. And it's not a mystery as to why. On one hand, Trump, I, in my view, has some great policies. But on the other hand, he quite often is unkind and rude. And he does things that certainly don't appear to be Christian. So what are Christians to do this time as we vote in 2020? Well, my friend, Dr. Michael Brown, who is prolific, not only in books, but in columns, and in radio programs, he does almost one a day. Yeah, he does almost a book a day, but maybe a book a book a year, actually more than that. But he does a, almost a column a day, and uh, he does a radio program every day, Line of Fire, which you can get on his website, AskDrBrown.org. And he's got a brand new book that I'm reading through right now. It is very insightful. It's called Evangelicals at the Cross Crossroads, Will We Pass the Trump Test? And I've got a lot of questions for Dr. Brown today. It's always great having him on. Mike, how are you? Uh, doing great, Frank. Thanks so much for having me on the broadcast. Oh, it's my pleasure always. Let's just start at the very top. And that is, obviously, there's controversy over Christians supporting Donald Trump. Why so much controversy and division over this man? Yeah, so first, just naturally speaking, the guy's controversial. I mean, he does mm -hmm. things differently. He's not your typical politician. He doesn't play by the normal rules. So he's controversial to start, but especially for Christians, evangelicals. On the one hand, no one in memory as a president has done more to keep his word to evangelicals than Donald Trump. I frankly thought during the primaries, if we helped him get elected, he'd throw us under the bus and forget about us. Quite the contrary. He's been our strongest pro-life president. He speaks at the, the March for Life, the first president to do that. He's fought for our religious liberties. I mean, attorney general fighting for our religious liberties, even, even this week. He, he is standing with Israel. He's brokering peace in the Middle East. He's pushing back against radical LGBTQ activism. He's, he's standing up against Islamic terror. He's doing so many things that have helped the evangelical cause on the one hand. On the other hand, our association with him and our blanket endorsement of him has done more to hurt the evangelical cause than probably any president we've had. So that's the quandary. He's done so much for our causes, but then our overall witness has been tainted. So how do we sort that out? That's, what, that's why I asked, will we pass the Trump test? He presents a unique challenge to the evangelical church of America today. Well, we're going to get into all that. We're going to get into questions like, does supporting Trump hurt your witness? Does supporting Biden, if people are supporting Biden, would that hurt your witness? I guess that's a question we ought to ask, too. I mean, it doesn't seem like we have, at least personality-wise, two great choices here. So what do we do? Now, you, like me, Mike, in 2016, 
did not support Trump in the primaries. My guy was Ted Cruz. I think your guy was Ted Cruz as well. Yep. But when he went up against Hillary, we all said, well, we got to hold our nose and, and vote for Trump. But now I know you are supporting Trump and are going to vote for Trump in 2020. How so? What changed your mind? Yes. Yeah, so I, I'm doing it very quickly and very easily. Now, uh, four mm -hmm. years ago, I had a lot of trepidation. I had a lot of concerns about the damage he could do. And frankly, he, he's done that damage. But when I look at the good he's done, and then I look at the alternatives, which have become even more bleak, more stark. I, I mean, wherever Joe Biden is, his own convictions, views, I don't know. I just know he has shifted more to the left. He's mm -hmm. become kind of a, a Bernie Sanders, AOC type of person. You've got the rise of socialism in the Democratic Party. You've got mobocracy. You've got the cancel culture. You've got a real assault on religious freedoms. freedoms. You've got the most militant pro-abortion ticket in our nation's history. So to me, it's a very, very simple choice. I will vote for Trump, but I will preach Jesus. I will vote for Trump and say, as my president, he gets my vote, but I will preach Jesus as Savior and Lord. He gets my life, and I will make that distinction clear to the world. 365 days a year, my message is Jesus and the Word of God. For one moment on one day, I will cast a vote for the president, and I will do it very gladly for Donald Trump. Well, one of the things uh, that I like about you, Mike, is you realize there is no sacred secular divide as many Christians think there is. They think, well, there's a secular side of my life and a religious side of my life or sacred side of my life, and the two never meet. So I, I'm, I'm supposed to stay out of politics because that's secular, which is not the biblical view, and you realize that. And so you have been involved politically on many fronts because you know it's important to support the right policies, it's not only something God would want us to do, but our very ability to preach the gospel depends on how much religious freedom we have. And so you realize that, and for those of you that don't know or just tuning in, Dr. Michael Brown not only has a radio program every day called Line of Fire, but he writes almost a column a day, sometimes two a day, over at stream.org. It's also You'll find him sometimes on the ChristianPost.com, but go over to stream.org and you'll see many columns, great columns by Dr. Michael Brown. Now, the new book, Mike, is called Evangelicals at the Crossroads. Will we pass the Trump test? What do you mean by the Trump test? What is that? So by the Trump test, I mean two things. First, can we vote for Donald Trump without hurting our witness? Can mm -hmm. we make a case before a watching world that we vote for Donald Trump as president and yet not taint and hurt our witness in the process. I believe if we do it correctly, we can. The other aspect of the Trump test is this. We will never have complete unity on politics within the body of Christ. Can we unite around Jesus even if we differ about Trump? Right now, we haven't done that. Right now, our social media is no better than the world's social media. The way we savage each other and attack each other and, and, and make it impossible to have a differing view we have to be able to love one another and respect one another and have interaction, civil, respectful interaction, even if we differ over Trump, because what the world needs and what America needs even more than the right president, America needs a united church with the united message making an impact and making a difference. And even if Trump is the better candidate, which I feel he's much better candidate than on the Democratic side, Four more years of Donald Trump is not going to save America. At, at mm. best, he's like a human wedge stuck in the door as it's slamming on our freedoms and on America as we know it. 
and giving us a respite to get about doing what we're supposed to be doing for the good of the nation. Yeah, in my view, the country's in deep trouble regardless of who wins. I just think it would degrade a lot quicker if Biden wins. Yes. The, 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 and, and we're going to get into this, uh, friends, as we uh, as this program unfolds. We're going to talk about the policy differences here. And, and of course, what you need to remember when you do vote, you're not really voting for a person. You're voting for a worldview. You're voting for uh, a platform. And it's been shown uh, by analyzing the votes of both major parties, that both major parties predominantly vote their platform. 90% of the time, they're voting for what their platform says. And we'll get into that as the program unfolds. Let me ask you this, Mike. We only got about a minute before the break, but some evangelicals have said, well, God uniquely has risen up Donald Trump. I don't know how they would know that, but what's your view on that? I know you have a chapter on it. Yeah, so on the one hand, I don't believe that God raised him up in a way that he's a savior figure or we must sanction and agree with everything he does. But I do believe there is there's some unique uh, working of God's sovereignty in this for two reasons. One, if you remember the day of the elections four years ago, there were polls giving him one percent chance, two percent chance. If mm -hmm. you remember watching the news coverage that night, everyone was in a state of shock. It seemed utterly unlikely that he made it as far as he, he could. If we told you four years earlier that he'd be the next president, you'd be laughed out of, out of town for saying it. The other thing is there were people pointing to the Bible and saying there was a, a biblical pattern for this. Hmm. Well, actually, Mike, you have a chapter in there where you point out that some people in the evangelical community predicted Donald Trump years ago, long before he actually became yep. president. We'll, uh, we'll get to that here in just a minute. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek and my friend, Dr. Michael Brown. We'll get back in just two minutes. Friends, can you help me with something? Can you go up to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star review? Why? It will help more people see this podcast and therefore then hear it. So if you could help us out there, I'd greatly appreciate it. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website is crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. We're talking today about the election coming up. It's something we need to discuss a little bit more than we have in the past. We're weeks away, and uh, Donald Trump is obviously still a controversial figure among Christians. Can Christians vote for such a man? Can, could they vote for Joe Biden and the Democrat Party. We're going to talk about all this as the program unfolds. My guest is Dr. Michael Brown, and uh, Dr. Brown has a new book called Evangelicals at the Crossroads. Can we pass or will we pass the Trump test? Very insightful. And Mike, uh, before, we, uh, before we get back to that, I do want to mention to our listeners that this week I'm starting a brand new Why I Still Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist course for high school and college students. It's online. It's closing Tuesday night. So if you're not signed up by Tuesday night, you're not going to get in. Now, you can take the self-paced course anytime you want. But if you want to be part of the course where you're going to be live with me on 10 occasions on Zoom for Q&A, you need to sign up by this Tuesday night. It's just for high school, college students, or their parents and uh, we're running out of seats in it. So if you want to sign up, sign up soon. Just go to crossexamine.org and click on online courses. You'll see why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Special course. We'll be meeting on the Zoom sessions in the daytime, which is unique. All right, let me get back to Mike. Mike, just before the break, we were talking about 
the idea that some people in the evangelical community had predicted that Donald Trump would be president even before he said he was going to run for president. Who who were these people and were their were their uh, their predictions accurate? Yeah, there's some folks I hadn't heard about uh, a fireman, Mark Taylor, and he had predicted it back in like 2012. You know, thinking it would actually happen then. But there, some of my friends, Lance Walnow, who does a lot of coaching with business people as well, kind of an out of the box Christian thinker, and he felt strangely drawn to the book of Isaiah, the 45th chapter, where God said he was raising up Cyrus, who was a pagan king. And I, I quote the words of Cyrus in my book, where Cyrus mm-hmm. refers to himself as the king of all kings, and he's quite <laughs> full of himself, and how he <laughs> worships and adores Marduk. And it was basically his policy as a pagan king, not to do what the other pagan kings had done, which was to crush the opposition, but to say, hey, go back to your homeland, We'll fund the rebuilding of your temple. Whoever your God is, we'll put a good word in there. And and then this way they could kind of control and and have the people under them in that way. And he felt drawn to Isaiah 45 and said that Trump will be the 45th president and will be a Cyrus type figure because God says, I'm raising you up even though you don't know me. And then there's a younger fellow, Jeremiah Johnson. He barely knew who Trump was because he doesn't watch a lot of TV. And he puts out this word that Trump is going to be a trumpet, like shake things up, and that he's going to be president. And he got tremendous flack. How could you possibly say that? And I remember, literally, Frank, I was on my knees praying because I was writing op-ed pieces warning against Trump. I was mm-hmm. talking about I said, look, I hope I'm wrong. And if it's him versus Hillary, I'll reevaluate. But we've got far better candidates than Donald Trump and so on and so forth. I remember saying, God, I don't see it. I I don't see what these men are seeing. And and again, you can take it or leave it in terms of whether they were legitimate prophetic words or insights. We're not saying the Bible prophesied Donald Trump. We're saying that this was a, a parallel, God using an unexpected outsider, not even a true Christian or true worshiper of the Lord for good purposes. And Cyrus was involved with rebuilding and restoring Jerusalem. So Trump is the president that moves the embassy back to Jerusalem. There were folks in Israel who actually put out coins with the likeness of, of Trump and Cyrus on them. <laughs> These kind of commemorative coins. Well, I do have to hand it to Trump. After president after president has said they were going to do that, he actually did it. He said it's going back yeah. to Israel. And look what happened, Mike, when he did that. Suddenly, you've got several countries coming to the table saying, yeah, we're going to recognize Israel now. Because partially, probably because Trump said, look, we're not playing around here. Israel's here to stay. It is Jerusalem's their capital. That's where our embassy is going to be. You don't like it tough. This is what's going to happen. Now, if you want to join us against the real evil empire in that region, which is Iran, then join us. And that's what seems to be happening with the UAE and Bahrain and maybe some other countries. Yeah, there's footage that I just saw today. A friend sent it to me from about 2016 where John Kerry, who served as senator and secretary of state and all of that, he emphatically says there will be no peace. He said, I can guarantee it with countries like Saudi Arabia or Bahrain or UAE or any of these Arab countries, unless there's first peace with the Palestinians. He said, that is a given. Well, Trump basically said it doesn't have to be like that. And amazingly, mm-hmm. instead of the whole world falling apart, instead of an end time conflagration and we're in Armageddon and Antichrist and everything, he moves the embassy to Jerusalem. There's hardly any pushback at all. There's not an uproar in the Muslim world. Then he recognizes the Golan Heights. 
Uh, so another mm. controversial thing, which should have been done decades ago, recognizes Israel's right to the Golan Heights. And what happens? We have unprecedented peace treaties. I mean, it was it was 31 years, 1948 till 1979, before there was peace with Israel and East surrounding nation, Egypt. 16 years later, Jordan. 25 years since there's been another country. Now two in one day with talk of Saudi Arabia and others, potentially four or five others following suit. So again, Trump would be on the one hand, the least likely man I would choose, especially to represent my cause as an evangelical. On the other hand, you need like a human bulldozer. You, you mm. need a human wrecking ball to take on the political establishment, to take on the media, to take on the Chinas and the North Koreas and the Irans of this world, to, to face down all the pressure, spiritual and natural, he's facing down. But bulldozers, bulldozers can be messy. So he gets mm -hmm. a lot of good done, but there's a lot of collateral damage. What we have to do as followers of Jesus is just be open. Say, yeah, I wish you wouldn't do that. I wish you didn't throw Jeff Sessions under the bus or call Oberosa a dog or go after Bubba Wallace with his tweets. It's juvenile. Yeah, he can be inconsistent with what he said. I think he lies sometimes. But boy, am I glad he's fighting for the, for the lives of the unborn. Boy, am I glad it's him pushing back against ISIS and standing up to communist China. So that's we can be so idealistic that we kind of push ourselves out of out of any involvement because no one is good enough. No one represents us enough. We get the good with the bad. If we can say, here's why I vote and this is why I'm voting for Trump. And here's what I don't like about him. We can do it with full integrity. Well, let me say this, though, Mike, uh, and, and th there's this is certainly true that evangelicals appear hypocritical because when Bill Clinton was, you know, doing his thing in the Oval Office with Monica Lewinsky. Of course, ever all the values voters came out and said, this guy shouldn't be in the Oval Office. This guy, because of his private sexual behavior, immoral sexual behavior, shouldn't be in there. Character counts, morality matters. And now with Donald Trump, suddenly, well, this isn't a problem anymore. What do you say to that? Yeah, we, we do seem hypocritical when we defend him, when we downplay things. And I have quotes in the book from the Clinton days and, and some of those same leaders today. You think, well, it sounds like they're singing a different tune. On the one hand, Trump has not committed the same sins in the White House that Bill Clinton did as far as as far as we know. But obviously his past is what it was when those horrific uh, Hollywood access tapes came out. We all had to say we deplore that. That's ugly. That's shameful. And, and when Trump does something we don't like, instead of defending it, you know, we now know, say, with Jerry Falwell Jr., there's been a lot of other baggage that's come to light. But when he would kind of present Trump as, as St. Donald, you know, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and quote scripture to support him, to me, right. that made us all look bad. Because, look, when you have a platform, any of us, and especially those with really big platforms, it somehow represents everybody. And what we have to be able to do is say clearly that we are troubled by these things. And we here, I genuinely believe that Trump's juvenile behavior and nastiness has had a negative impact on America in many yes. ways and has yeah. gotten us to the point where we're all throwing dirt and mud on each other. So character mm -hmm. does count. Morality yep. does matter. So that's been a downside. But then mm -hmm. I weigh it with the good. And to me, the good massively outweighs the bad. And then on the flip side, as, as Dennis Prager pointed out, there's another aspect to character, which is keeping your word. And, mm. and that Trump has done in a way I've, I've never seen a modern politician do.
if he said the thing, he's going for it. And, and he's the same things he talked about years ago. He's still trying to, to do was He set his mind to do it. And when he's had the power to do, he's implemented. So it's a mixed bag because morality does matter. He has hurt us in certain ways, and we need to acknowledge it as evangelical leaders and not feel the need to defend him at every turn. But we well, also me, can defend our vote. Let me ask you this, because you mentioned Dennis Prager, and that's one part of your book I was reading earlier today, uh, because you quote Dennis Prager, who's a brilliant Jewish radio host. Uh, for those who haven't heard of Dennis Prager, Prager you go to YouTube. There's great short videos uh, on many of uh, the uh, political and social issues that are well well done, I believe. Uh, and Dennis doesn't necessarily buy into the notion that marital infidelity, while morally wrong, he doesn't buy into the notion that that necessarily disqualifies someone from political leadership. In other words, he says, look, somebody can be an adulterer and still be a good le political leader. Now, many of us, including myself, said, no, we don't we don't believe that. But Dennis believes that. Do you agree with him uh, that th this view or do you disagree with him? Yeah, I've I've actually written publicly and differed with him and sent him what, I, what I've written. And we've interacted privately some about it. You could absolutely be a better leader, a more effective leader, a more powerful leader a leader with a cleaner conscience, a leader with more focus, if you were not living a double life. In mm -hmm. other words, there's no question that Martin Luther King did tremendous good and was a tremendous leader in many ways. But I wonder how much better a leader he could have been if he wasn't, mm. from what we know, a, a womanizer and, and an adulterer on multiple occasions. So here's where you think of. Think of any of our lives, right? Whether you're an athlete, whether you're, you're, you're a, a street cleaner, whoever you are, you're a, you're a married man, you're a married woman, and you're leading a double life. You, you cannot be everything that you could have been, even taking the God factor out. In other words, God's blessing or God's chastisement. When you're living a double life, when you cannot have full integrity, when you don't have a completely clean conscience, when your emotions aren't divided in different ways, look at a Tiger Woods. I mean, look at ultimately the, the damage that came out of it. And who knows? If Martin Luther King knew that the FBI had stuff on him, who knows if that stuff's always haunting you, hanging over you? So no, sexual sin does not disqualify someone in the natural world, in the church it would, but in the natural world from being an effective leader. But to me, it makes them much less effective. So I differ with Dennis on that. We're talking to Dr. Michael Brown. His new book, Evangelicals at the Crossroads, Will We Pass the Trump Test, is very insightful. It's very fair. It gives both sides of this question. So I highly encourage you to get it. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what are the issues that we ought to be voting on and how do the parties differ, differ on those issues. We're back in just two minutes. Don't go anywhere. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or cross-examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org. Currently, 
As we speak, I'm in Enid, Oklahoma, because my son and his wife just welcomed into the world a few weeks ago our new grandchild, Carson Spencer Turek, the first grandchild for Stephanie and me. And uh, he is just a dream. It's great having grandkids. Uh, so I just want to let you guys know that. Of course, my guest, Dr. Michael Brown, has several grandchildren. He's called Grandpa, right, Mike? Is that, what, is, is, is that your oh, yeah, name? I'm, I've been Grandpa. Somehow they, they got it out early on, and I've been Grandpa <laughs> now for 19 years, which is – and I, I, I'm so thrilled for you, for you and your family. Congratulations, man. Yeah, we are excited. You know, uh, it's, it's going to be fun when they get a little bit older and we can give the kid an espresso and a puppy and then send them home. <laughs> oh, yeah. Know? Look, you are the hero. With grandkids, you are the hero. All That's you do right. is give them whatever they want. You have fun. You're always the special one. And then you, when you're tired, you send them home. You don't discipline That's right. them. You're, you're tired. You send them home and let the parents deal with it. And, you know, it's interesting that God is a father, not a grandfather. He'll discipline us. God will. But grandfathers. Yes. <laughs> yes. And all of us want God to be a grandfather, right? It just He just wanted to see us. Lewis said, we just want a God who wants everybody to have a good time. That's you know, it. look, when I, when, I, when I get a text from one of my grandkids, it brings uh-huh. us, to this day a smile to my face. Just, you know, in the early days when we get pictures sent, if we weren't around where the kid, you know, we'd start crying. And yeah, we, we want God to be like that. Just, just the thought of our name. He's just so happy. And my grandkids, they don't do anything wrong. They're amazing. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, let's, uh, let's unpack what uh, this election is really all about. And I want to go to what Jesus said, uh, Mike, in Matthew 23, 23, where he said to the Pharisees, who were the politicians of his day, they were the religious and political leaders of Israel. Some of them are on the Sanhedrin that helped lead the, uh, uh, help govern Israel. Rome delegated most of that authority to them. And he said to them, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you've, you've tithed your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the the former without neglecting the latter. You blind guides, you hypocrites, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So Jesus is telling us, or telling the Pharisees, and by extension us, that we need to make sure that we govern by the more important matters of the law. My question, Mike, is in this election, what are the most important matters of the law that we ought to base our vote on? Well, I'm always going to start with the shedding of innocent blood. As I read scripture, that's always paramount. The shedding of innocent blood, the slaughter of the innocent, and therefore a a consistent pro-life position and then recognizing with that, that everything flows out of the family. I mean, look, we, we can't legislate whether people believe in God or not. Obviously, in the Old Testament, idolatry was a big issue, but that's, that's something we can, we can vote about. Although, conspicuously, the Democrat Party positions itself against religious liberties in many ways. But the slaughter of the innocent, so to me, we start with abortion and then caring for life outside of the womb, which means healthy families whatever can be done to strengthen the family. You think, for example, of the BLM movement, which would be widely associated with Democrat Party and says it's one of our goals to get Trump out. They want Mm. to assault the Western nuclear family. They want to dismantle that. So we start there. Always concern for the poor is important. But what's interesting is that a healthy economy can really help the poor. And that as much as Trump is branded a racist, he's been from day one branded a, a racist and a hater, He's done more to help uh, black Americans and poor Americans 
and others in the inner city with with jobs, with with getting a better life. So to me, that's an issue as well. We can look at the economy just in a carnal, selfish way. I want a better life for myself. We can think this helps overall. So we start with, to me, with a pro-life position, then with a pro-family position. Uh, obviously, solid economy plays in with that and helps in a holistic way. And, and then from there are liberties, our essential liberties, freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion. America was based on those freedoms. And whatever is assaulting those freedoms is our enemy and is ultimately going to devour itself. So I'm also looking for the platform and for the leader, for the party that will most stand for those issues. And then accordingly, because of the, the, the impact that judges and justices have on our, and our system now, even more than the founders intended, who is going to appoint justices that will enforce and uphold those liberties and stand for constitutional values, not just Supreme Court, but all the federal courts and things like that. Those are high priorities to me. Obviously, I believe standing with Israel is important and standing out against international threats. But these are some of the most fundamental values. Look, if we lived in the days of slavery, to me, that would be where we have to start. Are, are you an abolitionist candidate? Do you stand against slavery? Will you be working to overturn this horrid thing in our midst? And, and I would be, I'd start with that one issue and expand from there. So I start with abortion, pro-life, and I expand from there, pro-family, pro-liberty, not just religious liberty, but true liberty for Americans. Those are my most fundamental values and issues. How do the parties in the 2020 election line up on those issues? Let's start with life. Just, just give me 10 seconds on each. Life. Life, uh, Republicans very strongly pro-life beginning to end in their platform. Democrats very strongly pro-abortion want to uphold Roe v. Wade, want to establish it even more firmly. And they even want the government to pay for abortions. Uh, yep. That's where we are now, unfortunately. How about um, helping the poor? What do you think? Because uh, you mentioned poverty is an issue, obviously. So where would you put that? Uh, Republicans, Democrats? The Democrats will make it more of a platform issue and we'll talk about it more. But I believe their policies, the, the welfare state and other things are actually detrimental, which is why the Democratic cities tend to be the most run down, the most impoverished. So if Republicans could just make sure they remember the poor, that their policies, I believe, will help the poor more than Democratic policies. So it's an ends and means. Both parties want to help the poor. They just have different means by which to get there. And I think the Republicans need to give it more focus and, and make, mm -hmm. make the poor know that they do care and this does matter. How about religious liberty and freedom of speech? Republicans, yeah, Democrats. Re Republicans are for it and Democrats are largely against it. Just just look at what's happening in our cities now, in our in our states. So if you're in California and you want to protest and march down the street, that's good. Go ahead and do it. If you want to gather in a church service, you can't sing. If you want to have a home Bible study, you can't do that. So the inequalities that we're seeing are consistently coming from the Democratic side. The forcing of radical transgender agendas and things like that on our children in schools and pushing back against freedom of religion and conscience in that regard, Republicans overwhelmingly standing for that. Democrats sadly either standing against it or not standing with us. How about one thing that's often overlooked, in my view anyway, when we ask, what is the real purpose of government? According to Romans 13, the purpose of government is to protect innocent people from evil. So we've already mentioned that with regard to abortion. What about the military and the police? Because those are two 
of our organizations or groups of people within our society that protect us from evil? Where are each of the parties on those two things? Yeah, well, the Democrat Party right now would be leaning towards defunding the police or more sympathetic to that. Ironically, you have city council in Minneapolis getting all upset. The ones that are defunding the police say, where are the police when we need you? Um, and, and then, of course, although Trump has strongly tried to bring our military back and get our troops off of foreign fields, so he's clearly not a, a warmonger. He, he's much more uh, steadfast. He said we need to strengthen the military in that regard. I believe we all stand against police brutality and we all stand against racism where it can be found, let it be uprooted. But we need law and order. Romans 13, the government does not bear the sword in vain. So ask yourself, which is more the law and order part? Which is the one celebrating the protests, even the riots and the looting? Which is the one trying to crack down? Once again, it's Democrat versus Republican. It's, it's a pretty stark choice on these issues. Mm. What do you say, uh, Mike, to people who say they're pro-lifers, they're Christians, and they agree that the Republicans are right on abortion, but they say that health care, poverty, and climate change, for example, are pro-life issues too, and that outweighs abortion, and that's why they may vote Democrat. What do you say to that? Well, nothing outweighs slaughtering a million babies a year in the womb. Nothing outweighs tearing apart these little lives created by God. Nothing outweighs selling of, of body parts. N nothing outweighs dissecting a, a brain or taking a brain out of a baby with a beating heart. Nothing outweighs those atrocities. And, and God could have judged and destroyed America years ago just for that. Now, health care, we all agree health care is important. The question is, what's the best way to get there? Climate change, highly debatable in terms of the human contribution to that. And, and then poverty, yeah, let us do what we can to help the poor. Again, the question is which policies are better. But to me, you have areas that are debatable. We would love to see all of Americans have health care. We'd love to see health care be less expensive and things like that. At the same time, what's the best way to get there? Was Obamacare the best way? Are there better solutions? So that's a discussion to have. But you have that discussion while you first take a stand against the slaughter of the unborn. And, and if, if the Republicans were saying, we want to get rich on the backs of the poor and oppress them and beat them down and enslave them, that would be a different issue. That would be an issue of great moral importance as well. But that's not the question. The question is, which policies work better? So let's save babies' lives first because that has brought destruction to our whole culture. That has degraded life in our whole culture. That has taken away from the sanctity of human beings in our whole culture. Let's start there, and then let's look at workable policies that are best for everyone else. Those things can be debated and discussed really in a bipartisan way. What I've said for a few years now is I give Trump an A- minus on policy and a D on demeanor. Now, I would love if Trump was an A on demeanor as well, but he's not. Yet, what's more important when you put somebody in the, in the office to make sure that they put the right policies in place or they have the right personality? So what? my, my, my question is, Mike, you might like Biden's personality better, but does that outweigh the policies that he wants to put in place? Should we, should we be voting more for personality or policy is my question. Right. Well, policy is what the president, the elected officials can enact more. Personality can be a downer and can be destructive. But unless the personality was so utterly destructive, so utterly divisive, 
so utterly detrimental to the good of the nation, then I'm going to put policy first. So I, I do weigh these things. And anyone reading the book, even if you're a never Trumper, uh, I've had a never Trumper read the book and say, I'm voting for Trump now. And everyone needs to read this. That's in my position. Uh, that wasn't even my intent. My intent was to lay out both sides honestly and they give Christians a path to put the cross before the flag and to recapture a witness before the nation and things like that. So I do weigh those issues and I raise the issues against Trump. And Frank, I find a lot of it is fueled by the media as well. Its flaws are exaggerated by the left. Well, let's talk a little bit about that when we come back. We're talking to Dr. Michael Brown, his book, Evangelicals at the Crossroads, Will We Pass the Trump Test? You can get it at Amazon. It's well worth the read. Very fair, both sides. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. And we're back in just a couple of minutes. See you then. Friends, Frank Turek here. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. So if you like what you hear here, would you consider donating to crossexamined.org? 100% of your donations go to ministry, 0% to buildings. We're completely virtual. So if you can help us out, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Will evangelicals pass the Trump test? We're talking to Dr. Michael Brown, his new book, Evangelicals at the Crossroads. And it's a very fair book that goes through who Donald Trump is and what he stands for or has stood for, what his good policies are and what his bad policies are and what his good behavior is and what his bad behavior is and what can Christians do if they're going to vote for him? What can they do if they're not going to vote for him? Where should they fall on all this? And Dr. Michael Brown has pulled this book together. Uh, and it's it's very recent, Mike. I mean, I think this thing was just published in June. I'm reading it's 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 almost up to date. Uh, so it's a, it's a it's a very up to date source. And just before the break, we were talking about the fact that much of what uh, people perceive about Donald Trump and he is his own worst enemy quite a bit seems to be a bit exaggerated by the media. Can you explain why that is and how exaggerated is it? Yeah, we know there's bias on all sides of media reporting, but the left in certain ways has almost lost its mind in its attacks on, on Donald Trump. You know, mm. for example, we have history made just a few days ago with the signing of two peace treaties arrangements with Israel and, and, and Muslim nations. I mean, nothing like this has ever happened before. Two on the same day. And the way some of the left reported it was they weren't social distancing or wearing masks. You think you, 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 you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. It's, it's, just a, it's just a given that Donald Trump is a racist. That's just a given. And an Islamophobe. That's just a given. That's the way it's been reported. It's a given that he called neo-Nazis very fine people, which of course is a complete lie and a complete it's misrepresentation true, yeah. of the news yeah. conference. If you watch it, I, mm -hmm. I, I watched on CNN one day, Chris Cuomo, he played the clip and said, you heard it yourself. It's like, Chris, let it play 30 seconds longer. He says, by the way, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists. They should be condemned. So there, there's not even an attempt at even handedness. Donald Trump enjoys putting children in cages at the border. And, and whatever mm -hmm. the latest lie is, that he hates the veterans and disparages that whatever is, is reported is just believed. 
And I've had folks that, that I grew up with, you know, Jewish kids that I knew growing up and we're not close friends, but we stayed in touch. We're, we're Facebook friends. I had one of them just cut me off because I defended Trump. I said, I don't like this and this, but here's why I voted for him. That was more than he could take. And he wrote, how could you defend a man who is this, 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 this? So mm-hmm. Trump, yes, is his own worst enemy. And sometimes you think, how can you be so smart and so dumb? How, how can you be so savvy as to know how to manipulate the, 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 the news and, and get people, you know, talking about what you want them to talk about and, and shoot yourself in the foot in the, in, in the same moment. But there is an exaggeration. There is a constant mm. assault. A recent report, Frank, indicated that coverage of Trump compared to coverage of, of Biden, negative coverage on Trump on mainstream media compared to Biden was 150 to 1. For every one yeah. negative report yeah. of Joe Biden mm-hmm. on mainstream media, there are 150 negative reports of Donald Trump. That's what some people see. That's their reality. So you add mm-hmm. in the things that he does that 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 make for for uh, for a mess. Now it gets exaggerated or exaggerated and exacerbated by the secular media to the point that, that how could you possibly vote for Donald Trump? You actually have to calm people down sometimes and say, well, let's let's <laughs> let's defuse this. And it's really scary the way things are being reported now. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll look at headlines and the headlines don't tell you what's in the article. It's the headlines are misleading. Mm. And you read the article and the article isn't back what the headline said. You know, I, I don't like to use the term fake news because we can use it as a cop out and anything we don't like we can dismiss. But there's a lot of fake news out there. There really is something called the Trump derangement syndrome where it seems like people lose their mind in opposition to him. And then on the flip side, what's called the cult of Trump. I have a whole chapter in the book on that cult of Trump or Trump derangement syndrome where Christians that I know, solid people, godly mm-hmm. people, mature people, they now Trump is their man to the point of they preach Trump. You know, they'll right. post a picture yeah. of here's a Marine and his his hat's blowing off and Trump grabs it. That's our president. It's like, oh my God, that's that's our hero. We're going to die for Donald Trump. It's like, no, I'm going to die for Jesus. I vote for Donald Trump. I die for Jesus. So he's brought out like the extremes, almost the, the, the worst in all sides, hypocrisy in the evangelical church, the extreme nature of the of the Democrat Party, the bias in the media. He's brought this up to the surface. It's kind of his nature. I think Newt Gingrich said he wakes up every morning and says, what can I disrupt? And, and, and yeah. a funny thing, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but you look at almost every president from when they come into office and then four years later, they've aged. They've grayed. Right. They look different. Okay, so Trump dies is here. We understand that. But he looks like he's having the time of his life. I mean, he's put weight on, but mm. he, he doesn't mm. look any older because he lives in the whirlwind. This is kind of who he is and what he brings out. But it's revealed a lot about the nature of America. And the identity politics under Obama, I believe, brought tremendous division to our nation. Now Trump has kind of thrown salt in those wounds. And somehow we as the church have to be a, a, a reconciliation force, not so much between political parties, but between human beings and God, because we are we're about to rip each other apart as a nation. We um, you had mentioned uh, just a few days ago, these historic Middle East peace deals. And literally, uh, Mike, the New York Times, I don't even think had it on the front page. It was like <laughs> it was like the 83rd story down. Yeah. Yeah. And could you imagine if President Obama had negotiated some Middle Eastern peace deal? It would be trumpeted as as a sign from heaven that 
th this guy's practically the messiah. And look, we've known the media has been far left long before Trump. It just seems to be put on steroids since Trump came into the uh, office. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it's more than 95% negative coverage. Now, okay, let's say Trump brings a lot of that on himself. He does, but 95% no. Satan would get better coverage than that, Mike. Yeah, look, the, the fact <laughs> is there, there's not even an attempt to cover things up. I, I had not mm -hmm. watched, and look, I, I see bias and, and inaccuracy on the right as well, but the, the level of animosity, how it's just become a personal battle. And, and mm. I, I put on CNN some weeks ago, I hadn't watched in a while, and I was, I was literally stunned. It was almost, uh, and look, I pray for these men to know the Lord. I wish the best for them. But just to be candid as, as a viewer, it was almost like children who were upset and they were going to talk about the person that hurt them and that they were mad at. And I'm thinking, I, I thought you were supposed to be a newscaster. I thought this was supposed to just be reporting the news. It's one thing if you turn on Rush Limbaugh, you know you're getting Rush Limbaugh's opinion or or Michael right. Savage. You're going to get Michael or Savage's Hannity. opinion. Or yeah. you, you yeah. know you're going to get that. Now, you hope they're being accurate, but you know you're going to get right. that. But if you're just watching CNN or MSNBC or ABC or just Fox News, you're supposed to be getting news. Nancy told me she switched one day from CNN to Fox and, and she had issues yeah. on both sides. She said, but you know what's interesting? She said, there's other stuff happening in the world other than Donald Trump. She said, you would not know that watching CNN <laughs> because it's either yeah. Russiagate or it's it's a sexual it's assault uh -huh. or it's whatever or the veterans or it's going to be one thing after another. And by the way, it's only going to intensify between now and November 3rd. It is. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you what we can do about it. But let me just say one thing earlier, we were talking about uh, should you vote for the policies or the personalities if there's a conflict there. And I asked some never Trumpers, a friend of mine, one of them is a never Trumper. I said, OK, let's say it was Bush versus Biden. Who would you who would you vote for? He said, oh, that's easy. Bush. Easy. I said, you just illustrated to me, you just revealed to me that you're voting personality rather than policy, because basically Trump is Bush with a different personality and no foreign wars. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and stronger convictions on some yeah. of the issues that matter most to us, to be candid. So, Mike, we just got a couple minutes left. What should Christians be doing? Because regardless of whether you're going to vote for Trump or not, um, either Trump or Biden's going to be president next year. Um, one of those two is going to win. Um, what should we do as Christians through this election period and beyond? Yeah, so I, I end the book, the last chapter, which is kind of the punchline of the whole book, I lay out a 10-point strategy of how mm -hmm. we could pass the Trump test. So just real quickly to go through some things, we must clearly and emphatically put the cross before the flag, meaning, yes, mm -hmm. we're patriotic, but our first allegiance is to the cross, and, and that's our mentality. Great commission comes first. And, and then secondly, we, we have to proclaim Donald Trump is our president, not our savior. Let the world hear that. Let the world know that Jesus is our message. When people want to talk to us about Trump, say, you know, I'm actually happy to talk about that, but I'd rather talk about the condition of your soul and what you think about God and the Bible. So, yes, Trump is our president, but our message, the one we proclaim, our Savior, Jesus. And then we've got to put greater emphasis on spiritual activity than on political activity because we get so caught up with this. And, and we, we can't get caught up with election fever. We cannot get so obsessed. We need to step back. We need to worship. As you said, no matter who's elected president, Jesus is Lord. God is king. We bow down and worship him. Let's, let's turn away from some of the defiling news and constant bombardment and worship God and get our priorities right. 
Another thing we need to do is not justify carnality and unchristian behavior. Let's not compromise our witness by defending the indefensible. Let's call balls and strikes. And then we've got to regain our prophetic voice. Somehow the church has been discredited on the one hand by scandals in our own midst, on the other hand by the media's unrelenting attack, but, but by the nature of our support for Trump, we've lost some of our voice. We've got to regain our prophetic voice. We've got to be holistic Christians, pursuing justice and righteousness for all. Yes, pro-life has to be holistic from in the womb to outside the womb. Let's, let's be known for that because the world expects that of us. We've got to walk in love towards those who vilify us and oppose us. And, and the chapter is chock full of scriptures. We must unite around Jesus rather than divide over Trump. And we must lead the nation in repentance, knowing that repentance mm. prepares the way of the Lord. The only hope of America is awakening, beginning with the church. And all the details are in the book, Evangelicals at the Crossroads, by Dr. Michael Brown, who's been my guest today. And Mike, tell people about your website, what they can find there. Yeah, go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. They'll find thousands of articles, thousands of videos, all free to access our daily broadcast. They can order the book there, or they can go on Amazon and order Evangelicals at the Crossroads. Mike, thanks so much. Wonderful again. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. That's Dr. Michael Brown, folks. Don't forget the Why I Still Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist course for high school, college students and their parents closes Tuesday night. Hope to see you there. God bless. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.